This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast, and when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and let me be the first to welcome you to Pizza with the Works Except Anchovies Day. Why did they even need to specify except anchovies? I mean, what pro-magnon monster is still putting anchovies on pizzas? That's crazy. Hey, also, is today the day you quit your job to pursue what you love? One family that struggled financially earlier in their life just cleared that hurdle, and they recently switched from two incomes to one. Today, we welcome Chris Peach and Andrea Robinson. Plus, for all our military friends and veterans, we got you covered today on Veterans Day. Here to help veterans transition to life and work outside the military, we welcome from the Syracuse Institute for Veterans and Military Families, Dr. Michael Haney. But that's not all. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, answer a letter from the mailbag, and feature some pizza with the works-themed trivia. Now, two guys who don't understand how awesome pineapple is on a pie, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. I just still don't get it. Oh, I thought he was talking about pie pie, but yeah, it's so nasty. Now, have you ever grilled pineapple? Delicious. That's good, but covered in pizza sauce and ham oh not that much hey everybody welcome to veterans day i'm joe salci hi average joe money on twitter and uh next to me 
here at the card table, <laughs> not really next to me, across the table from me. Across. <laughs> Snuggled up next to me here at the microphone. Sharing a blanket. Is Mr. OG. What is shaking bacon? Welcome to Veterans Day, my friend. Yes, indeed it is. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, we have... Armistice Day. Oh, is it really? This is what it used to be known as, yeah. World War One, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And also, it's the day when we are celebrating how to get uh, how to get uh, family members retired early. So I'm so happy that Chris and Andrea Peach are here. <laughs> I was going to say, Mrs. OG figured out how to do that. She <laughs> said, buy me a minivan. I'm going to be a soccer mom. There it is. Bada boom, bada bing. Well, she, she beat you to it. You know, she yeah, said she it. Did. It was one of those deals like instead of like in high school and you break up with them before they break up with you, she <laughs> she decided to quit work before you could. So you're stuck with me on the microphone while she's, you know, living the high life, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Hey, driving that Toyota minivan with them kids around. I have been around your house. She has the full-time job, my friend. She definitely has has a full-time job. You're right about that. By the way, if she's looking for a better job, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. (laughs) LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash SB. That's linkedin.com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. We got a great show today. Chris and Andrea Peach talking about making the difficult decision to maybe stop one career and take up another career at home. We've got Dr. Mike Haney from the Syracuse Institute for Veterans and Military Families. Man, what a show. We got headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. The first piece comes to us from USA Today. This is written by Tim Chen. It's an opinion piece that OG actually brought to the table and we both found incredibly interesting. Real-time payroll deposits would make a huge financial difference for strapped workers. Many workers are caught in a cycle of debt. Real-time payroll deposits would help them avoid high-interest payday loans and connect to banking services. The fundamental structure of America's banking systems remained virtually unchanged since the 1950s, yet one simple update could open the door to people who have been locked out of basic banking services for far too long. Millions of Americans today get paid twice a month, often on the 1st and the 15th, but why? That made sense when payroll was entered manually and checks were cut by hand. The reality is that digital financial technologies have made it possible for workers to get paid on their individual schedules instead. Not only is this a more fair way to go, but it could also help workers stay in the banking system and out of the cycle of debt. This is not science fiction. Walmart, for example, is partnered with a tech company that allows employees to access a portion of their wages as they earn them instead of at the end of a pay period. And Lyft has a program that permits drivers to cash out their earnings before their regularly scheduled payday. Most of these programs charge a small fee for the service, and some companies have opted to pay that cost for their employees. It makes a lot more sense than forcing employees to give American companies a two-week loan of their labor, which is what happens under the current system. This delay often compels workers to spend money they don't have just to access needed cash. About 12 million Americans use payday loans to cover emergencies and living expenses at effective interest rates that exceed, wait for it, 300%. Holy cow. Yeah, payday loans, right? Yeah. Just unbelievable. So uh, what, do you th- what do you think about this? You, you brought this to me and said, we should talk about this. 
we talk so much about the group of citizenry that are the unbanked, the ones who are kind of caught in this cycle, like the author talks about here. And I even think it's beyond this. I was talking to, I don't know if it was you that mentioned it. Well, you said something about your daughter being 23 and not able to rent a car yet. And maybe that made me think of, I remember when, when Mrs. OG started working in her consulting business and she had to go on a, on a work trip for a week to Chicago. And of course they say, Oh, by the way, we're staying at the higher Regency, you know, when you're 22 and your credit card limit is 380 bucks. They just kind of did that very nonchalantly, like, all right, we'll see you there. And I remember just all of the stress about how in the hell are we going to pay for you to stay at this freaking hotel for a week or whatever it was, you know, and food and airfare travel there and all that sort of stuff. When we're still like in the in the mode of building cash, I, I think the solution finally was she just had to call her dad and, you know, use his credit card or something, if I remember correctly. But But this kind of extends to this same sort of thing here. If you're always kind of two weeks behind and you made all this money and it's just sitting there, I don't understand why we have to wait, you know, get paid on the 1st and the 15th or the 8th and the 22nd or once a month. How tough is budgeting when, you know, you get paid on the 1st and the next paycheck isn't till the next 1st? You know, those last like four days of the month are always like, I hope nothing goes wrong. I know for us as a small company, I mean, we have to be cognizant of the payroll fees that we pay whenever we run payroll. So that becomes problematic. So I think it would have to be an industry-wide thing where you see some disruptive company that actually says, hey, you know what? We can marginalize these fees and make it easier for people to get paid whenever they want. I mean, you're looking at these bigger companies, Lyft and Walmart in the piece, that are picking up the cost of employees doing that early. But for us, I can't imagine, you know, what that would cost us to do. Well, I also agree with the fact that when they talked about how years ago it was kind of payroll was done by hand in our organization, of course it is done by hand. I mean, we still use computers to figure out all the numbers and everything, but it still requires somebody to sit down and go through QuickBooks and make sure all the money's put in correctly and that, uh, hey, make sure there's enough money to pay payroll and that sort of stuff. So to do that on a weekly basis would be a little bit time intensive, that's for sure, you know, or a daily basis for that matter. I love the idea, though, and I do think that the way technology is now, it seems like this would be not a difficult disruption. Like, it wouldn't be difficult at all. And to your point, Pam, it would make a lot of people... um, it would help them budget a ton and and also would help them trust the system. Mm-hmm. I think about it on the other end of the spectrum, too. What about if you had a employment check account, I guess, where all of your money was, kind of like a checking account, I suppose, where as you earn it, it just is deposited, and as you need it, you take it out. You might go six weeks without, you know, hey, my bills are paid and I don't have any emergencies, I'm laughing because my brain is on the same train I, because I was thinking there's some people listening to this going, well, all you got to do is learn to budget better and I don't need to be paid every day. I don't know why somebody else does. And then I thought, well, technology takes care of all that. What if you could be paid however you wanted to be paid? Yeah, it's just there. You've got a chit and you say, oh, today I need to get a paycheck for two grand. How much do I have? Oh, I've got 4800 in my payroll account. And I'll just click a button and say, send me a check for two grand. It'll be in my account tomorrow. 
What's that weird TV show called? Dark Mirror, Black Black Mirror. Yeah, Richie's telling me it's called Black Mirror. Have you, have you seen that? It's no, kind of like a modern no. Twilight Zone thing. In one of the early episodes, there's a guy, and they all cycle for something. I don't know if they're creating energy or whatever, but as they cycle, they're earning these these chits. <laughs> these yeah, things credits. that you're talking about. And then they yeah. cash them in. And this guy decides to cash them in to help this girl that he likes do this singing competition she wants to do because it cost X number of credits to do. So he spends all of his money helping her yeah. do this singing competition. We definitely wouldn't want to do a singing competition here in the basement with your chits, but I, but, <laughs> but I like the idea. You've got this, I mean, and you theoretically, you could even earn interest. Like it could be an interest bearing account until you take it. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity here. It is right for disruption, I think. Because there is no reason we can't figure out a way to do this better. Well, I can't believe, though. You know, I think about this, but then I go back to the fact that ACH still takes three days. Well, and that, to me, is utter... I I was just going to bring that up, too. Gosh, we're symbiotic today, Mr. Joe. I love the fact that you deposit a check. My favorite is when you deposit a check from your own account. Like, from one account to another. (laughs) And they say, well, we're going to hold this for three days or five days or seven days or whatever the hell they want to hold it for. And then you go back to the <laughs> bank the next day and you go, yeah, I need that released. Oh, no, sir. We hold that. That's a that's a business. I know. I wrote the business check. Here's the screen on my business account that shows that you've already taken that check out of my other account. <laughs> you can do that instantaneously. And I know you do. So you don't have to hold. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> And you and I know to raise a hissy fit about that and generally can get that waived, you know, that time period if they're going to do it. But how many other people know that? Or how many people are the writers of their own checks? It's, 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 it doesn't happen as much. And so all those banks get it, the, that two-day float, you know, that three days of, hey, I can hold on to your money and maybe you'll use it. And then I get to charge the 35 bucks for using it prematurely, which is such utter poor shit. I do not... Sorry. I do not understand it, not in the least. No. I get one day, like overnight. You know, you should be able to put a transaction. Here's another way of thinking about it. If I log into American Express at 7.59 Mountain Standard Time, my bills due that day, and I hit pay my bill, that money is out of my account that night. It's amazing. Amex has figured out how to pay themselves. When you say, yeah, I want to pay my Amex bill today, they go, thank you, sir. Good day. There are now messaging apps that automatically send money instantaneously. So why doesn't ACH work that way? Uh, yeah, Apple Pay. We had a guest at our Detroit show, and he texted me afterwards and said, ah, you know, I had to skate out, you know, right at the, I didn't, I said, did you get a t-shirt? He says, no. I said, well, I'll get you some. What do you need? Well, send me a bill. And I said, Bill, Apple Pay, toggled it up, three times 20 bucks, send. And he clicked accept, done. I Bam. got 60 bucks in my Apple Pay account, wherever the hell Apple Pay is. You know, I don't know, I don't know how I can spend it, but apparently I've got it. <laughs> you really just sent it to, to a Nigerian prince. That's what you yes, really I did. Probably, well, I received it from a Nigerian prince. Yeah. And in our second headline, of course, today is Veterans Day. And we turn our attention to a lot of the struggles that veterans have as they try to transition out of the military and into the workforce. And here with us from the Institute for Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University, it's Dr. Mike Haney. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking some time to hang out with us here for a second. Let's talk about the unique struggle that veterans have when they transition out. In fact, it's funny. 
on my Flipboard this morning where I look for headlines. I saw a cartoon talking about, yeah, it's really easy to fill out your LinkedIn profile when for the past five to 10 years, you've been in the military, meaning it's not easy at all to do that. What are some of the unique challenges you see veterans have when they're transitioning out of the military? One of the biggest challenges is actually aligned with what you just described. The military service experience is unique and often veterans struggle telling the story of their service in a way that it relates and aligns with the civilian world of work and what employers are looking for. So that process of how do I relate and equate my military service experience with the knowledge, skills, abilities, and traits that employers are looking for really is one of the the primary challenges that those leaving military service face when they transition to the civilian workforce. Which is also interesting because I feel like when I think about veterans and some of the unique skills they have that a lot of people they're competing for jobs against don't have, they have these great skill sets, but then you talk to veterans and they don't feel at all prepared or ready. Yeah. I, I mean, I think as a society, we could do a better job supporting that transition. The reality is it, it in a lot of ways, it's, you know, I equate it to being an informed consumer, the extent to which our service members, when they leave the military, are informed about things like what well, what does it mean to work in a sales environment or in a financial services firm or in retail. Very often, those are experiences, the opportunities for that learning just doesn't happen um, in the context of military service. So the opportunity there for all of us, and I think the nation's employers have stepped up in a way that, that's praiseworthy to support that employment transition, but there's still an awful lot more we can do. Well, let's talk for a second. Let's dig into some of the things that veterans thinking about transitioning out can do to start down the path. What are some of the key things they need to start doing today? I think one of the biggest things that we've seen both through research and in in practice in the context of the programs that we run here at the Institute for Veterans and Military Families relates to credentialing and certification. Often, service members who pursue labor market-connected credentials and certifications, things like the program management professional certification, or you know, if, if cybersecurity is where you're headed, there's a whole suite of credentials in the cybersecurity space. Often those credentials signal to an employer that you actually do have the knowledge, skills, and abilities that align with the jobs that they're hiring for. So one of the first things I often recommend to transitioning service members to do is to actually uh, take the time to pursue civilian labor market recognized credentials and certifications because they they essentially serve to bridge your military service experience to the civilian work experience in a way that provides you the currency, if you will, um, labor market currency, and it makes you much more marketable and employable. Are there also some firms that are more open or, I guess, veteran-ready and really need veterans more than other firms? Are there places to kind of search for employers that prefer to have veterans working with their organization? Sure. As I hinted at earlier, I think one of the things that has really been positive relates to the, the employer community nationally stepping up in a big way. You have firms like Walmart and Johnson and Johnson and JP Morgan Chase and Bank of America and Target all essentially making public commitments to integrate veterans into their workforce and many of those 
firms, and I, I just named a small few, have created specialists in their HR organizations that have been trained and are skilled at translating those military service experience roles and jobs to their own workforces. I think a simple 10 minutes on Google and you'll be able to identify firms that are focused on hiring veterans that have the cultural competency, if you will, to understand where veterans will fit in their organization. Let's talk about for a second then, Mike, the work that you guys do at the in- the Institute for Veterans and Military Families. Tell me about that. Yeah, it doesn't how- roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me how you guys interface with veterans and uh, how people can learn more. We run transition-focused programs for veterans on a a very large scale. We put somewhere between 20 and 24,000 transitioning service members and veterans a year through a portfolio of programs that we run focused on employability, jobs, and business ownership. We, for example, run programs that are focused on providing the the skills and training required to help a, a veteran start a small business. We run a program called Onward Opportunity that back to my point about credentialing, that is focused purposefully on putting civilian credentials in the hands of veterans and transitioning service members. There's many more programs than I have time to explain, but that probably the best advice I could uh, give to someone is to go to the Institute's website, which is vets.syr.edu, and there you can be exposed to the, the whole suite of programs that we have to offer. It's, it's worth uh, highlighting that all of our veteran-focused programs are free. So our, our model is that other folks help us launch and create these programs so that we can offer them to veterans without any charge. It's really exciting, and I'm, I'm glad to help you shine a spotlight on it, Mike. If you didn't catch the website, guess what? We'll have a link to that in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com if you're out walking the dog or on your commute. Dr. Mike Haney, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes today on Veterans Day. Thanks so much, Joe, for having me. I really enjoyed it. Lots of veterans worried about transitioning out of the military. And I think what uh, Mike and his team are doing over there is uh, is great work. I think you've got a half of the staff at Sacking Benjamins are veterans. We, we do, don't we? We are, we are a veteran-owned organization and we employ veterans. How about that? Yeah. Man, and it is so tough making that jump to Michael's point. Yeah, Richie still hasn't done it yet. <laughs> but I think uh, the lesson from our first headline, thinking about innovating, find a way to innovate on ACH and Joe and OG will be your BFFs. Yeah, if you got a few few million laying around and you feel like creating a program, do please, it, man. Please get that one done. Coming down to the basement, he has the Money Peach podcast. She has a brand new project that they'll be talking about today. But if you've ever considered going from two incomes down to one, or you're somebody that's thought about quitting your job, man, do we have an episode for you today. Chris and Andrea Peach struggle with money, and now they've made some big changes in their life to go do the things that they really want to do. Coming down to the basement, let's say hello to Chris and Andrea Peach. And coming down the stairs, Mr. and Mrs. Money Peach themselves. Chris and Andrea, how are you guys? 
This is a nice, cozy basement down here, Joe. It's wonderful. It's so homey. I love like the backhanded compliments people give us. Like th this isn't as creepy as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's not as creepy. That's the key word, as creepy. As, as creepy. Yes. Right. It's sort of like what I pictured, though. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you guys. And, and actually, let's talk about now. I want to start at the top of the mountain, and then we'll talk about the bottom of the mountain and how you got to where you are today. Andrea, you were able to, a few months ago, quit your job. I know. Can you believe it? It's like I'm... This is a newfound freedom I haven't ever had. I think this is the first time it is, actually in my entire uh, life that I haven't had a, a job where I'm collecting a paycheck every two weeks. I started working, you know, like everybody else when they turned 16, kind of a rite of passage. And then obviously I had a career for almost 14 years in uh, television news. And here I am in a very brand new chapter of my life that's both exciting and terrifying at the same time. And in my mom's basement. Yes, which I've never <laughs> actually been like in a basement because here in Arizona, like we don't have houses with basements. So we never grew up with like basement parties or going down no. to our friend's basement. No. So this is awesome. Talk about new for me. Well, you know yeah. what? You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Checking it off my bucket list. But you seem very, very, I don't know. You seem relaxed. I mean, this is the first time you and I have met, but you seem very relaxed, incredibly happy. Is it everything you thought it was going to be? I think it's everything I thought it was going to be and more, yet every day is different. And I think that is probably just the newest thing of all is I woke up every single day doing the exact same thing day in and day out, which was not bad, but just like anything, you do the same thing over and over, you get used to it and you operate sort of on autopilot, cruise control, and everything is is so perfectly put into a schedule. I knew what I was doing. You know, live TV with that job comes a little bit of change. You know, that's change, spontaneity. It's different every day. But the day in and day out was the same. Now my life is just completely different. It's just who knows what the heck we're doing mm -hmm. every day. <laughs> like the format, the way you prepared every day, that was always yeah. the same. And now it's whatever kids throw at you. Exactly. Yes. Or whatever this guy next to me throws at me. Yes. Well, you never know about him. <laughs> Actually, we, we've got to talk, Chris, you and I have talked on the show. It's been a while now about just the money situation. Let's go back to the very beginning. I mean, Andrea is able to stop working. I want to talk about how the two of you made that decision, but you weren't originally great with money, if I remember right. So no, we were both, will we say, terrible with money. That's about as nice as I can put it. So when we graduated college and got married, very quickly, we went about $52,000 in debt. And we made great money, Joe. I mean, I was a full-time firefighter. She's on television. At the time, we had no kids. So you can imagine, we have a great income, but we overspent. We got to the point where even with that kind of income, we were paycheck to paycheck. And it was February 2011. We literally went broke, meaning... We ran out of money on Wednesday. We were overdrafted, um, credit cards were maxed out, and our paychecks would come on Friday. So it was a 48-hour period where we didn't have $0. We owed the bank money in overdraft fees, and we didn't get paid for two days. So that was kind of – and it wasn't hard, kind of a crazy thing. It's not hard to go that far into debt and be done with money. But it's hard to get out of debt. It's hard to get out. <laughs> it's but, really easy to get into debt once mm -hmm. you get on a roll of spending. Yeah, I would yeah. guess it was pretty fun getting into debt. <laughs> it, it was. was amazing. Yeah. Great leased cars. We had student loans that we thought would just go away. Plenty of name brand clothes. We went on trips mm -hmm. per the credit card of the of the week. 
It was, it was a life. We're the yes couple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, that makes it exciting because you went from there and what was the date again? It was February 17th, 2011 was when I was at work and she called and was like, Hey, I'm at the grocery. Well, she wasn't like nice. And you can imagine yeah, how I mad wasn't she nice. was, but I she was, was at the grocery store uh, with our 10 month old at the time. And she runs out of cash, runs out of, I mean, none of the cards work. No debit card. No debit cards. And the grocery cart is stuffed full of groceries. She's a television news anchor here. And so everywhere she goes, people recognize her, know who she is. So she's embarrassed because everybody in the store recognizes her as sure. Andrea. And Andrea's broke. And now everybody can see it. I mean, that was kind of the, uh, that's the phone call I got, Joe. You can imagine. But I think the excitement is you go from that horrible call, as I can only imagine, to today just the huge inspiration that is for a lot of people listening. Let's talk about some of the hurdles though, between that day and now, because climbing out of debt, I'm sure was a complete bear. What were some of the big lifestyle changes you two went through? Saying no. Yeah, that was the biggest one. We had to learn how to say no to things, Mm -hmm. buying things to people and really getting honest with each other and realizing we are on the same team. And it's us against everyone else. And if we are going to succeed as a family and eventually, you know, have another kid or grow our family or have a life that we really are proud of living and and love living, then we have to be honest. And the honest conversation was we're really failing at this and we can't be living this life on the outside that looks beautiful and fancy and shiny and pretty when it's just a lie. Yeah. But what's funny is I was on television in Detroit for nine years and I worked with a bunch of the talent at WXYZ in Detroit. And I'll tell you, so many people in your industry live the lie because you're expected to look a certain, it's almost like people expect doctors to live a certain lifestyle. So you read the millionaire next door and doctors are broke, right? People Mm -hmm. on TV, you got to drive a nice car. You got to look a certain way. And because of that, so many of those people have money trouble. It's so true. And I think too, trust me, I made a great living. That's not the point of any of this, but we also don't make millions like people think we make, especially in, you know, local television. I think it's just an assumption. Oh, you're on TV. You make all this money. But again, not a bad living. It was us living triple what we really earned. And Joe, the crazy thing was is when we first got our jobs, you know, I was an entry level firefighter and she, we joke around, she worked in the closet because she was the traffic reporter. And in she the actually, very, very beginning of She my actually career. did it in the closet. And you started off at, was it $8 an hour? $10 an hour. $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. So she started at $10 an hour. A starting firefighter here in Phoenix, I think, makes about $40,000 a year. We were living okay. Like it wasn't like, I don't ever remember struggling then. And as our income went up, we never felt like comfortable. We never felt like there was a cushion. And it was just because we every time we made more, we would spend 10% more than we made. The hamster wheel just kept spinning faster and faster. Exactly. So climbing out of debt, how long did it take the two of you to actually climb out and feel like you were on firm financial footing? So I think this is where our story got so popular. It got so viral when we started telling it is so I, I'm the firefighter. And so whenever I see a problem, it is okay, here's a problem. There's always a solution to a problem. Let's fix it as quick as we can. That's kind of, that's just our mindset. So I thought you um, were going to say, let's hose it down, but <laughs> let's, let's hose it down. Yeah. Let's just put the fire out now. So I remember I came home and I told her, you know, and it wasn't, I mean, you didn't get on board right away, but after, not at all, I wasn't, on I'd board say after right a away. month or two, you were like, okay, something has to give. Yeah. What is and getting so, on? Well, wait a minute. I'm sorry not to cut you off, but what does getting yeah. on board mean? Okay. So 
like he said, he likes to come up with a solution. If there's a problem, it's solution. It's let's execute, let's go. But he doesn't come to the table, or at least at this point in time, came to the table with, hey, this is what's going on with us. These are some options on how we can fix it. It was like, hey, we've got a lot of debt and uh, we got to get out of it. So you need to stop shopping at Target. And in a like sort of nice way, but he's very direct when he wants to do something, he does it, which is a wonderful trait of his because he goes after a goal. But in a marriage, it's a together goal, right? So I think the approach turned me off because the approach, what I heard, again, I wasn't listening. There's a big difference, right? Hearing Mm -hmm. and listening. I wasn't listening to really what he was saying and he wanted to make us better. But all I heard was, hey, you spend too much money, you got us into debt, and this is what I want to do to get out of it. And I'm like, hey, I work too. I bring an equal amount of money to the playing field and to the table, so this is not how it's going to roll. I realized I was hearing something completely different than what he was actually asking. And when we finally came to the middle, I realized, hey, okay, I get what you're doing. I don't want to be like this. Let me see what I can do to help get us to that point as well. Yep. I had a mentor tell me one time I had to put a little velvet on my hammer and it sounds like Chris needed the same thing. Yes, exactly. I've been told before, Joe, and I don't believe it, but they say, Chris, you know that voice that's in your head? Don't release that freely. <laughs> say it like 10 times out in your head and then say it out loud. And I have to practice that because sometimes I just say it. I might, I might suffer from that too, but it sounds like Andrea, then the money conversations at that point changed. They totally did. And I will say We never argued about money. It wasn't like a fight every paycheck. We just never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And kind of in a way, I think not talking about it is worse than arguing about it. You know, money fights are one of the top reasons why people get divorced, but not communicating has to be up there too. And we just didn't talk about it. We just kind of, okay, we got paid again. And oh, if not, we got a credit card and we'll do this with it. And, And so we just left it untouched. And so- When we got to that point and we started communicating about it, that's when everything really changed. Mm -hmm. How did that change? Did you then have regular meetings? Like Cheryl and I started having weekly meetings. They always included either wine or breakfast. I mean, not wine and breakfast. We're not. (laughs) Although that's good too. (laughs) Depends on the week. (laughs) And we had two kids at home. So, you know, but how did your meetings happen? So, I mean, in the, in the beginning it was, I'm the numbers guy and she's not. And I think in every relationship, you're going to have somebody who is the numbers spreadsheet nerd, and you're going to have somebody who's not, and you need both of us. So for us, I would sit down and in the very beginning, it was just a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Just got a piece of paper. I looked at printed off all our bank statements and I just looked, okay, here's how much we're spending. Here's how much we have to spend. The numbers don't match up. Mm -hmm. So then it wasn't like, we are going to do this. The, The question was, how would you like us to do this together? Yeah. How can we, what can we agree on? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think forming the question like that, making it a little bit more open to suggestion versus this is the rule and this is what you're going to follow. Nobody likes to be told what they can and can't do, what they're allowed to do, especially in a, a marriage when it comes to something like that. Like, I don't want an allowance, whether now I'm bringing you know money to the table or not, we're in this together. And so it's one big pot of money and we decide together where it's going to go. So the first time we ever did a budget was hard. It was so foreign to me. But the minute somebody tells me I can't do something is the minute I love to start proving them wrong. Mm -hmm. So 
it kind of became like a game and he allowed me to like want to get a little competitive. And so remember like groceries, you know, we'd set a a certain amount of money and then it became like, Oh, I can do better than that. It's like a limbo. It's like a limbo bar. How low can I go? How low can you go? And so then we found each other like, well, we were totally cheering for the same team finally mm-hmm. on the same team. And we were going crazy, Joe. I mean, we were, it started off like how much could we cut in groceries? And towards the end of our debt payoff, we were literally selling pictures off the wall, designer sunglasses out of the closet, anything that we could sell, we would sell. And then the crazy thing was is so she couldn't really pick up extra jobs Mm-mm. because of her, the way her sure. contract was, was a uh, structured, but I could, I could do whatever I want as far as work. And so when I was in college, I cleaned pools. And I remember thinking, okay, Arizona, the summer's coming. I know I can pick up a couple extra thousand bucks a month. So I literally, this is, you know, this is 2011. So I go on Google Earth and I take a picture of my neighborhood and I start Xing out all the pools. We get in the car with our 10 month old or 12 month old at the time. And I remember she is the, you know, she's the television news anchor in Phoenix and she's driving her husband around door to door. Mm -hmm. And I'm running up, knocking on the door. And I had like a little 30 second spiel and like one out of 10 houses would say yes. And I was like, okay, one out of 10 equals this much money. So I need to knock on like 300 doors, right? And I ended up doing like probably 150, 200 doors in a, in a month. And I got a pool route and it was very humbling. You know, you go to, you clean pools while you're in college and now you're cleaning pools when you're out of college to pay off the debt because you're stupid. But that was, that was tough, but it was also something that I think allowed us to say, okay, we're not as special as we think we are. Like we're, we're humility bringing us down back to like ground one. And I think that having to do that, you know, having to see him work that hard extra above what he was already doing for a regular salary, plus picking up extra shifts on the fire department. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't obviously pick up extra side work, but just seeing that made me think, I don't ever want to get us back to this point again, where we have to do all of that just to not only make ends meet, but to pay off what we thought we needed three years ago or however many years ago it was to rack up that debt. Mm. It made me feel bad. It made me sad. Yeah. But I can see in your eyes, as you talk about this, it just seems like at the same time, even though it sucked, like this is exciting because for the first time you're in charge and now you're, you're at the wheel. Yeah. It's really empowering to turn the table around and start living your life that you're proud of, but doing it on your terms and you taking control of it. No one could take that away from us. Like we paid that off ourselves, and it was by a joint effort. It was him doing his extra stuff. It was me and, you know, swip swaps on Facebook, selling shoes and meeting people in the parking lot at, you know, the grocery store to switch things to get 20 bucks for a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. I still have no shame in doing that. I still throw stuff up on those sites all the time when I don't need it, but. Well, and it gets fun. I think after a while, like you're like, Oh, this is nothing. Like I can do this. This is super easy. Yeah. Um, When did the discussions change from this idea of we got to get out from over our head to Andrea decides that she's going to stop her career? I never once in my life thought when I became a firefighter, when I was in college, that someday I was going to start a personal finance blog about our story of paying off debt. And then someday that would actually turn into something that generated income. And then someday it would turn into something that would generate enough income to replace her income. It never was our plan, right? I guess we didn't really have a plan, but as we got older and the kids got older, we just realized that corporate America wasn't for her. It wasn't for our family. And 
the workload that she had. I mean, tell them about how, what, what time you woke up and all that kind of stuff. I remember when we had our first child, Carter, our son, I was obviously doing this job my hours have always been the same. So I wake up at 2.30 in the morning. I would leave the house by 3.30 in the morning. I would start work at four. I would stay at work until uh, 12.30, one o'clock. And then I'd come home and start the second half of my day as a mom and taking care of the kids. Well, when the kids were little, I remember when I first had Carter though, thinking, how am I going to do this? How is this all going to work? And it worked just fine. He got a little bit older. We had Kaylee. They were so young and they weren't in school yet. And it wasn't that bad because they never knew I was gone in those early morning hours and the, the first part of the day. We had a sitter or we had, you know, in-laws or family help. So that didn't make me feel all that bad. And I kept thinking in my head, if I could just get them both to school full time, this is going to get easier. Well, that was a complete lie, too, because as soon as they got into school, which they are now, this should be like the sweet spot. Like, oh, I got myself eight hours. I can go work. I don't have to pick them up from school till, you know, three or three thirty or whatever it might be. No, this is the hardest season yet of our adult life, our marriage life, especially. And then as a parent, because they need us so much more and they don't just need us to like chauffeur them and take them places. They like need us present and a little less exhausted than I would have been. And so we just decided, I don't want to live like this every day and wish for Friday and wish for the weekend and wish for a break from all of this. I loved it when I was there. I loved work when I was there. It was fun. I got to tell people stories. I made people's morning. I got to wake them up and start their day. But I was so empty inside because I wasn't doing any of that for my own family. The one that needed to wake them up was not there to start their day. There's been a lot of discussion lately about career penalty, women in career penalty, though. You you stop now. You decide, let's say the kids go to college like mine did. You decide you want to go back. Now you haven't been there for, for that long. You must have thought through all that ahead of time because that would be, I mean, that, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing to get out of a field, especially like yours, and then want to come back later. That weighed heavily on my mind and through the, it probably was a, a year of thoughtful prayer, thinking, you know, list making pros and cons. I mean, we talked about this every week. There was not really a week that went by that we didn't reflect and look at the week and see, can we continue to live like this? And how would life look like if I wasn't there? And that was a thought because as a woman and having built a career like this, it didn't just happen overnight. It was a lot of work. And I knew that leaving this, there is a almost a hundred percent chance that I will not ever get back into it. Cause when you leave TV, there's always somebody younger, prettier, smarter, will work for less. will have more experience when you try to come back to the playing field. And I always knew that in this career though, that's the thing. There's an expiration date yeah. on all of us. I can say this because I think it's true that women in that field, we have a little bit shorter of a, a time frame that we can work in that career. The TV, not to cut you off, Andrea, but even no. when I was at Channel 7 in Detroit, the fact that women get to their early to mid 40s and all of a sudden uh, the TV station always seems to say bye bye, while men get into their 70s and look gray and distinguished is a total double standard. It, it, yeah. it's, I think the word's disgusting. I know. And you know what? I think a lot of it though has to do too. I mean, my station was awesome. And they, when I went and told them that I had plans to to leave because my contract was up, that's, that was the other thing was 
we kind of had this time frame. I had to make a decision because this fall, my contract was coming up for renewal and I needed to make the decision whether I was going to stay or not. And they were going to, you know, offer me another contract to stay. But for me, I just knew if I didn't do it now, I was going to miss out on another few years with my kids. Leaving on your own terms is always, I think, the best way to go in any way, any job, any career. Uh, But it was really hard because I, I think I probably, you know, said goodbye to something that I probably will never get back again. And, and it's okay though, because I feel like for once I made a decision that included, you know, Chris and my kids, but my head and my heart were in sync and they both said the same thing. It was just the right next step. I just remember watching from afar and knowing Chris just a little bit and how exciting it all seemed. Just really cool. But Chris, you know, you said earlier you're you're a money guy, spreadsheet guy, right? So mm-hmm. you're doing the math. How did you how did you calculate the math working out on Andrea staying home? You know, kind of going back a little bit is we're both believers. And so we've always thought God has opened and closed doors in our life and we just gotta pay attention. And when she got hired, you know, on the news station, very very seldom do you see somebody go from high school in Arizona to college in Arizona to main anchor in Arizona without going anywhere else. That was a, that was a door that opened. And then going into debt, I feel like that was a door that closed, like the fund closed and it caused us to pay off debt. And then the doors opened back up, meaning, you know, we had enough money because we didn't, we weren't paying debt anymore. We didn't have any more debt payments. So the money was there. And then on a side note too, is we're believers and we tithe. That was one of the things that we didn't realize until we looked at a new budget is we tie 10% on the gross income we bring in. So when we looked at her staying home, and so that's a good chunk of our income going away, and we look at the expenses we had as far as you know um, our tithe every, every month, but then also daycare, nanny, fuel costs driving downtown, we looked at it and we're like, why didn't we do this sooner? This isn't going to be really that painful. It's It's actually... I mean, we're going to have to tighten up a few things, but it's not radical. Mm-mm. That's interesting. You actually, because a lot of families want to do this, and by putting the pencil to the paper, you figured out it's not the big deal you thought it was. Exactly. Yeah. It was almost like we, we, I remember looking at it, and we were both kind of smiling. And I'm like, "This, this is right." And she's like, "It can't be right." And I'm like, "No, it's it's definitely right." She's like, "So we're not going to really feel anything." I'm like. I guess not. You know, I mean, it was because think about it. Everything is think of percentages. You know, when you're putting money away for retirement, you usually put a percentage away. So if you make less money, you're putting less percentage. I mean, that percentage is the same, but you're putting less amount. And then the expenses of going to work, that adds up too. So when you cut that back, you're like, whoa, there's some opportunity here for us to like really have some quality time. And looking at the big picture now, when you start to get away from a season, you kind of really see why you went through that. And I truly have always believed everything happens for a reason. And I feel like we're in this season now for a specific reason. And I have no idea what's next, but I know that we went through paying off as much debt as we did. And we learned how to handle our money the right way and be good stewards of it and manage it in a much more conservative way instead of being so loose with our dollars. And all of that has taught us that we can make a big decision like this and a scary one. For once, we get to make it based on what we want out of life versus we have to stay in this job because we have all this debt and we have to pay that credit card and our house payment's way too big and we'll never be able to afford it. We have two cars parked in the driveway that have car payments. 
We don't have any of that. So that's like out of the equation. So it makes a big decision like this way easier to make. Yeah. Now you can make it based on how you feel instead of uh, your money dragging you around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I've got one important question that OG, my co-host, asked me to ask you, which is uh, specifically for you, Andrea. And that is, OG, you want to know if Chris ever misses arm day? <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's what he thought. That's what he thought. So we saved the, the tough question for last. I love it. <laughs> Tell us what's going on at the Money Peach, because as Chris knows, we love what he does here and uh, more people need to know about it. So what's going on over there, Chris? So Money Peach is, we're still doing amazing things. we got new posts coming out every week. We have the podcast that's going really well. But one thing that I'm really excited about is I'd say about six or seven months ago, we decided she doesn't want to come home and do nothing, right? She wants to be part of something. But Money Peach is my thing. She's That's not her passion. So we're staying steady at Money Peach, but I'm going to have Andrea share with you what, what's been going on, something brand new that's going to be right. releasing soon. Fantastic. Well, you know that uh, money is intertwined in just about every facet of your life. And through Money Peach and just through me being, you know, a part of him and married to him, we often get, we get a lot of questions, especially as a married couple and how we handle certain things in marriage and as parents and just really everything. So we know that there's a need and we all want to learn more how to be a better spouse, how to be a better parent, how to be better in the bedroom, be better in everything in life. So we are launching something kind of exciting, uh, money, sex, and kids, and it will be a video cast and eventually a podcast, Mm -hmm. but we are handling all of those subjects that everybody wants to talk about. Some of them people are afraid to talk about, but I think, and what I've learned the most in the last sort of year to two years of some serious self-reflection and self-awareness that I've worked on myself is the more real you are with people, the more honest you are with people, the more vulnerable you are with people, the more people can resonate with one another. And I think ultimately people just want to feel a part of a community. They want to be like, really girl, you do that too? So do I. How do we fix that? How do we do that? That has been a great outlet for us, one, to work together, but help build a community of people that we want to be surrounded with. That's exciting. Congratulations. No, thank you. We're excited. I mean, to be able to talk about money and sex and kids, that is, that's just, that's for me, that's like, (laughs) well, he wish it said sex, sex, and sex, but we can't just talk about that. That's a bummer. It's the way God made you. Yeah. Go with that. Sure. You're uniquely made there, Money Peach. (laughs) Andrea and Chris, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you. Happy pizza with the works minus anchovies day, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and that holiday just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? With a name like that, I can't for the life of me figure out why more people aren't in the streets celebrating. So here's today's topping flavored trivia. You probably know your favorite pizza toppings, and if you're in the USA, you probably know the most popular topping on most USA pizza pies. But here's today's morsel. What's the most popular pizza topping in the UK? It's probably something like crumpets or tea or something else with a funny accent. I'll be back with the answer featuring our friends across the pond in just a moment.
Well, the right person can make a huge impact on your business. I know in mine, hiring the right people has always been a key to success. You know, recently, Jeff Bezos, a piece about him said that every single year when he talks about his company and keys to success, he never changes the fact that hiring the right people has been a key to Amazon being what it is, and it is for your business too. I get frustrated when I see companies not take the right hire seriously and then wonder later why their company culture isn't what it should have been. Well, you know what? Focus on the hire, and a lot of great stuff happens from then on. It's super important to find the right person. So where do you find that individual? You could try posting on job boards, but can you be really sure the right person sees your job? You need a big enough pool of applicants to make sure you get the right person. Find the person who help you grow your business with LinkedIn. They're the world's largest professional network and people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. 70% of the US workforce is already there, so why wouldn't you go there? LinkedIn jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, their interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. And this way, your job gets seen by more of the right people, making it easier for you to find that person who's going to help your business level up. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top jobs boards, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. And that's why a new hire is made, get this, every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Head to linkedin.com slash SB. And you know what you're going to get? You're going to get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for $50 off today. Terms and conditions apply. Pizza with the works minus anchovies again, stackers. Joe's mom is busy hanging decorations upstairs for our party here. Gertrude's coming. Joe and OG and Joe's mom even invited that horrible waiter, Mike, from the Sizzler. Dude's a jerk. I swear he waters down the Thursday margarita special. But that's for another day. Today, we have your pizza trivia. The question was this. What's the most popular pizza topping in the UK? According to Papa John's, in the UK, they sell more pies with mushrooms than any other topping. I knew those people were a little off. Second is onions. Ham is third. The old US favorite pepperoni finishes a distant fourth. I'd stay and try to figure out how this abomination actually happened. But Joe's mom needs help sticking Italian sausage flavored potpourri around the house for tonight's shindig. Arrivederci. Ham was third. How about that? Yes. Uh, big thanks to Chris and Andrea. How exciting, by the way, to be able to say, you know what? I have this fantastic career, but I'd rather do something else. I mean, not only does that take some mental fortitude, OG, but it also takes the money to be able to be flexible there, to say that money's no longer part of this equation. I can make it based on the way I feel, not based on financial circumstances. I love that. I just talked to a listener a couple of weeks ago who did a very similar thing, only he went to work for the family business and kind of took a step back in income, but with the goal of, 
you know, of it growing going, Hey, intentionally I'm doing this because of, you know, the long-term opportunities there, which I, which I really admire and being able to have the flexibility to say, you know, I'm going to pick what I want to do, not necessarily what I have to do uh, is Powerful. It's scary too, though. Yeah, it's super scary, right? Yeah. You got two incomes and all of a sudden you got one. Yeah. Well, well you did that. You, you, you got to check that math uh, mm-hmm. somewhat. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. We're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. I think my favorite pizza right now is margarita pizza. You just like margaritas. Well, that comes with the pizza. That's why I like it. <laughs> That's pizza and a margarita. That's a whole different thing. It's <laughs> a whole different thing. <laughs> pizza and a margarita are your two favorite things. How about yeah. your loved ones in your time? But your loved ones seem a lot more lovely when you got a couple margaritas in you. It happens. Don't they? Yeah. It's why they've created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote, affordable prices, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. No waiting several weeks for a decision. You get it right now. By the way, let's say that there were a $500,000 life insurance policy. I had one and you were my beneficiary, you know, because- So far, so good. Because we take Because you're older. Because we take care of each other. What would you do with a half million dollars? Boy, what would I do with half a million dollars? Well, the thing- I guess office space line comes to mind. Just kidding. Mrs. OG, I would never do that. Um, I would in, invest for my future after buying a Lamborghini. Yeah, there it is. That's that's what I mean to you. So that you know what that code is? That, that That's code for you have too much life insurance. <laughs> that is code. <laughs> whenever, whenever you ask the spouse, what would you do with that money? And they say Lamborghini. You turn to yeah. the other spouse and go, we're you, backing you go, that down. <laughs> yep, too much. If it's like, wow, there wouldn't be a lot left over after the kids' college fund being able to pay for bread, milk, and cheese every, every week. Perfect amount. There it is. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. And uh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline today to our new friend, Catherine. Say hi, Catherine. Hey, Joe and OG. I'm 46 years old with a 34-year-old husband and two kids ages four and five. You always say not to have term life insurance through your job in case you leave. But I'm 22 years into my state employment and will be eligible for my full pension in seven years. My husband is a federal employee who will work at least 19 more years, but not more than 24 before mandated law enforcement retirement. We've always enrolled in term life and death and dismemberment insurance through our seemingly safe and stable jobs. Should we still consider finding term life insurance outside of our employer? I generally don't take your advice anyway, and you probably won't even answer before my open enrollment period ends. So thanks for nothing. (laughs) <laughs> those are my favorite calls right yeah whatever you say i'm gonna do the really opposite. motivates me to put my best foot forward doesn't it <laughs> hey you're a piece of crap <laughs> that's so anyway. good thank you Catherine, for the for the question so stable jobs do they go outside work to get term life insurance Here's the problem with group coverage versus individual. Uh, the first one is a very obvious one of if you change jobs, then you lose your coverage effective the day that you change your job. So, you know, that's obviously a very big risk for a lot of people. And I think, by the way, this is another great example of the rules of thumb not applying to every single solitary situation, but you still have them. 
as rules of thumb. So the, so the first major issue is if you lose your job. The second issue is sometimes in some companies, as you continue to get older, you start paying for all of the other sick people and all of the other old unhealthy people in your job because the underwriting is based on the collective group as opposed to you individually. So it really can work out if you are an unhealthy person and you don't work out and you like to smoke and you've had three liver transplants, you're great for group coverage because all the healthy 20-year-olds are picking up the slack. But if you're a really healthy person and you take care of yourself and you could qualify for individual coverage on your own underwriting, sometimes that ends up being a little less expensive. You also introduced, Catherine, your work. I think this also kind of goes to the category of it might be difficult. When you're in law enforcement, there's a lot of life insurance carriers out there that go, yeah, no thanks, for a lot of reasons. Even federal law enforcement that's maybe not as law enforcement-y as, say, you know, day-to-day beat cop. I know a lot of people who we work with are you know, work in different areas of the government and they're classified as federal law enforcement, but, you know, they're not out kicking it indoors and that sort of thing. But that kind of goes to the category of group coverage may be your only option. So I think it really depends on, you know, your unique circumstance. And it sounds like as long as you can get enough coverage for your needs, that would be, I guess, the other area is that sometimes the group plans just don't get up to the number that you need. You know, they'll say, well, we'll cover 10 times your salary or something. Frankly, that's hardly enough for most people. So if you can get the coverage you need and it's priced correctly and you have very little concern about your job loss, yeah, take the easy route and get it through the employer. But if you're healthier than the average person, you need more coverage than is offered through your group plan, and maybe you're not in as stable of a position, then you have to look outside of it. She also mentioned accidental death and dismemberment. And I think depending on the type of law enforcement she does, that might be a great idea for her. But I see a lot of people that are in very stable jobs where you're not sticking your hands in machinery, where the chance of you losing an eye or a limb aren't that high. And yet people stock up on this stuff. And the reason they do it is because it's really inexpensive, but it's inexpensive for a reason. It's because you never use it. I, for most people, and maybe, maybe not Catherine and her husband, but for a lot of people, you have to think critically about, do I really need this coverage? And what's the chance of that happening to me? In many cases, I might even say most cases, I prefer to have a great disability policy and have a fantastic life insurance policy. If you've got those two things, your need for accidental death and dismemberment is nothing. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the reason that people stock up on it is because it's very inexpensive and it gives you the, it gives you the sensation of coverage when in reality it's very limited in terms of its definitions of, of uh, payouts, unfortunately, which is part of the reason why it's inexpensive. And a lot of times, again, if you do it the right way and put, put together your protection plan the correct way from the beginning, a lot of those things are addressed with uh, like disability policies. I know a lot of carriers have upfront one-time payments for if you do this, 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 or this, similar to an accidental death or or a a dismemberment policy. So kind of puts another tally in the column of making sure that everything is coordinated correctly. So you're not uh, overlapping. Thanks for the question, Catherine. 
We also get letters down here in the basement. We've got a long one here from VJ. VJ says, I'm a longtime listener, big fan of both Stacky Benjamins and the Money in the Morning podcast. I want to send a voicemail to score a t-shirt, but sending this email because I want to refer to an article. On a few episodes of Stacky Benjamins and maybe also on Money in the Morning, you mentioned that you expect long-term returns of the S&P 500 to be between 7 and 10%. I came across an article on Forbes by William Baldwin written October 2017 with the title Stock Market Forecast 2018 to 2043. He thinks the stock market will produce real returns of 3% as opposed to 7% over the next 20 to 25 years. I didn't quite understand the reasoning, so I'd like to hear your opinion about it. The idea of 3% returns worries me a lot because my financial plan depends heavily on an expected return of 7 if it's not possible to explain this in the time you usually allocate, I'd appreciate if you could discuss this headline Monday in the morning. Well, you know, we're going to do it right here. He said, by the way, thank you in advance. Hope the Detroit Lions do better than last year. They suck less than the Giants anyway. <laughs> VJ from New Jersey. Uh, so I pulled up this piece, OG, and let's, let's give this a little time because there's a couple things going on here. First of all, this piece by William Baldwin, before we get to it, VJ might be messing up two things. When he talks about real return, real return is return after inflation. So when you're saying 7%, and let's say that we think that inflation's three, that means that the stock market will return 10% during that time frame. So when he says three versus seven, let's say inflation's four, well, you, you might be getting the 7% that you need and his prediction might be true and you'll still get where you need to go. So just to make sure that you've got your definitions right. But listen to this, OG. Stock market forecast 2018 to 2043. Uh, stocks have returned a glorious 7% annually over the past century. Total return net of inflation. Continuing on the same course, they deliver very comfortable golden years to you. But they won't do that. The stock market's now poised to deliver not even half its historical return. I'm not predicting a crash or calculating what the market will do next year. Nobody can do that. I'm saying that returns from stocks, <laughs> but I can over 25 years, but I can, nobody can, nobody can do that except me. I'm saying that returns from stocks will be over the next several decades, quite disappointing. My sad forecast is not built on any gloomy view of where the economy is going, nor does it assume any slackening in corporate growth. It's simply an arithmetic inevitability having to do with earnings yields. Bad news. This is bad news for retirees and future retirees. If you're still working, plan on working longer and saving more of your paycheck. If you're retired, live frugally. You may think that past returns over a long period, like 100 years, would be a sensible place to start with a forecast of future returns, but investing doesn't work that way. What matters to today's buyer of a stock or bond is not what it did in the past, but what it earns for the buyer at today's purchase price. A bond buyer can't miss this. The yield to maturity on a 30-year inflation-protected treasury is now 1%. 1%, that is. If you buy one and hold until 2047, you're going to be quite certain of getting that 1%. No more, no less. The fact that in the past 30 years or past century, treasure bonds delivered a higher real return, that's irrelevant. Stocks, of course, don't lock in a return the way a default-proof bond does, but they're constrained by the arithmetic of their earning power, just as bonds are constrained by their coupons. With stock prices high, that arithmetic doesn't look pretty. The S&P 500 index been hovering near 2,600. Corporate earnings over the 12 months to June 2017 came in at $104 per index unit. That's a 4% earnings yield. You buy a share for 100 bucks and you get a claim on $4 of profit that you can either spend or reinvest. 
He says, what happens to stock owners over time? Let's start by making two optimistic assumptions. One is that corporate profits would keep up with the cost of living, even if corporations distributed all their profits as dividends. The other assumption is that the S&P's price earnings ratio remains forever at its present lofty level of 25. And then he goes into, let's see what total return would be in a world where corporations did distribute all their earnings. And he takes that and then walks through it. This piece is uh, about seven miles long. But I think that that gives us an idea. He's talking about the arithmetic, not supporting this. And by the way, you've heard past things as well, OG, from people like Warren Buffett has even said that you should expect less on your money in the stock market than you have in the past. What do you think? Lower returns in the future? I can't put into words the amount of disdain I have for stuff like this. And the reason for it isn't because this author isn't intelligent or puts together a logical argument because maybe he does. I'm not going to read it. I've listened to as much of it as I'm going to listen to with you reading it, but it flies in the face of what he said in the first paragraph. I have no idea what tomorrow brings, but I do because I'm a genius, know exactly what's going to happen over the next 25 years. I don't know what's to predict for the next 25 years because nobody does, but I do actually because I'm really smart and I can do math better than you. I have no idea whether or not any of this is going to be true. That's the thing. And, and there's just as many articles of people who have rosy pictures of the next quarter century versus those who have foul pictures of the next quarter century, but none of it matters because Financial planning is an ongoing thing that you do based on your situation, based on what you're doing. And I get that you need to have some sort of guesstimation of what the market's going to do. But let me just fast forward for VJ here. Let's say that you're working your plan. You're setting aside the certain amount of money based on the assumptions that you have, 7%, whatever you said, and you're marching along. And for the next 10 years, this forecast is true. So what do you do as an individual 10 years down the road? Do you say, well, I guess I'll just be poor. I guess I'll just never retire. No, you will. A logical human being will say, okay, we need to make some changes to our plan. Maybe I need to work a little bit longer. Maybe I need to save a little bit more. Maybe I need to be a little bit more aggressive in my investment portfolio, whatever the case may be, right? Because a logical person will take current facts and say, okay, what do I need to do differently? Because the trajectory that you might plot out for yourself today that says, okay, between today and a quarter century from now, I need to meet these milestones. If five years into it, you're not at that milestone, do you just blow by it and go, well, whatever? It's the other side of the coin of the same argument of what happens if it's not true and you're blown by those. And you say, well, I was supposed to retire in 25 years, but by God, the market's done fantastic. And I've got enough money I could leave in 20 years. Do you just say, well... My plan said that for the next five years, I got to keep working. No, you adjust based on the current situation, just based on what's going on. And that, so all of this, I feel, is focusing on, on something that has no bearing on what you do today. And if you want to plan on 3% returns after inflation or 7% after inflation starting today, we'll do whatever then. I mean, I'm not going to do that because... What the author said here was, you know, there's 100 years of data. We're talking about Veterans Day. You know, can you imagine 100 years ago what it was like in America? I mean, 
think about, I guess it was just the end of the world of World War One, right? Just the end. People didn't have cars yet. There was no television, little radio. We're still communicating with telegraph. And think about all the stuff that's happened. My grandfather passed away last year. I turned 40 last year. And I remember thinking, my grandpa turned 40 in 1959. And all the stuff that's happened in the world and in our country from 1959 till present. <laughs> and I thought about like all this. I can't even fathom what's going to happen from last year when I turned 40 until I'm 97, you know, if I'm lucky enough to live that long. Like stuff we haven't even thought of. There are people that make freaking half a million dollars a month playing god darn video games on the internet right now. I miss that boat. I was pretty good at like Call of Duty. <laughs> if I do say so myself. My point is this, when it comes to financial planning, it's uniquely personal and whatever goals you want to, to work on is totally fine. But, but a normal person isn't going to just set it and forget it. You've got to check in on a frequent basis and make adjustments based on reality. And maybe this turns out to be true or maybe it doesn't. Well, and that was my point uh, my initial thought anyway, which will be my point here. This presents a logical argument. If you choose to believe this math and you believe this person you don't focus on that and say, oh, I'm screwed because my plan. No, no, you you adjust your plan. If you say, okay, I think the reality is 3% on top of inflation, let's say another three. So I think the market's going to do six. In my plan then, I expect six. And then I say, what do I do if I have an expectation of six? So it's a really easy equation. It's the goal equals expected rate of return times my contribution. If my expected rate of return is lower, I got to figure out a way to either raise my expected contribution or push the goal out or lower the amount of the goal per year that I spend. I mean, it's it's simple. It's not tough math. I've got these three choices. So whether, yeah. you, whether you believe the article or not, to, to your point, I think is irrelevant. And don't get me wrong, I think it does use the phrase, it's not a factor. I think it can be a factor, but it's a front-end factor before you start your planning. You say, what are my inputs going to be? And if you decide that this is one of your inputs, you adjust accordingly. Like, you know, I mean, if there's a pilot flying a plane, I have a friend who's on a plane to Singapore right now as we speak. If there are high winds and the plane is going off course, the pilot doesn't go over the loudspeaker... Oh, well, guess we're going to Thailand instead. Yeah, that's right. We're going someplace else because there's high winds. No, they factored that as an input and then they adjust the trajectory and you should yeah. do the same. Good stuff. Great, great question, VJ. And I'm glad VJ asked that question because I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong right there. They read the stuff. They just get afraid and they go, well, it looks like I'm screwed. No. Can't do it. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Buy the Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff there. Thanks for the question, VJ. If you've got a question for the show, thanks also, by the way, Catherine, for the hilarious question. Are we going to need this soapbox anymore today, or should I put that away? I know, right? Head to stackingbenjamins.com, and you'll see at the top of the page 
all the ways that you can interface with us. Also, thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this here podcast. This one's five stars. I am uncertain about this person's sanity, though, because the headline says, Doug for President. This is written by JSH67, which I feel bad for JSH67 being named that by your mom. That'd be horrible. My mom decided to call me Joe. But if your mom called you JSH67, God bless you. Joe and OG put on a great show. The piece reads, very informative and entertaining. I appreciate the variety of their guests and consistent advice. They need to start a writing campaign for Doug to become president. I think uh, there's a movement there of exactly one person, OG, that's on that train. So thanks for, thanks for that. Mom is putting that on the refrigerator today because uh, the Bridge Club's coming over later and she wants to show off. So I love how she just stands next to the refrigerator, don't you? And just kind of nods like, oh, oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's just another five-star. this thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the podcast. Yes. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, man, take it from here. What should we have learned today? When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pirate zamore. When the world seems to shine like Joe's had too much wine. That's God, would you shut up? I'm trying to sing over here. Oh, all right. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Chris Peach and Andrea Robinson. Not living the life you want? Start off with the basics. Make the best use of side hustle time to earn more money, cut expenses, and then you too can start thinking about the really big goals, like cutting out parts of your life you aren't as excited about as, like, say, making pizza. Second, veterans, take some advice from Mike Haney. There are resources out there to help you transition into the workforce after your service. Don't go it alone. It's always easier with good help around you, as you already know from your time in the military. But the big lesson? Don't let Joe's mom plan the guest list for the works pizza with everything but anchovies party. She's always inviting Big Al. And... Well, that means only two slices for the rest of us. Special thanks to Chris Peach and Andrea Robinson for joining us. Check out Chris's podcast and his blog at moneypeach.com. Check out Andrea Robinson's new project, Money, Sex, and Kids at moneysexandkids.com. Yeah, something tells me Andrea's site's going to get a few more hits than Chris's. Also, thanks to Dr. Mike Haney from the Syracuse Institute for Veterans and Military Families for helping us help veterans on this important holiday in the USA. You'll find all the resources we talked about today at ivmf.syracuse.edu. Don't worry if that's too many letters for you. It was for me. We'll have the link in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. 
One of you listeners needs to write in and let Joe and OG know why you really listen to the show. Me! We had a lot of people ask us about the t-shirts, especially when, if you listened last week to the live shows, we have been donating the proceeds of the live uh, shirts that we sold at the live shows. We have a few left. Normally, they come directly from Brad, who Mm -hmm. makes the awesome shirts. And by the way, how cool was it hanging out with Brad in Detroit? That was fun. Did did I tell you I had no idea who he was? (laughs) So when I, because I was a little tardy, and I came in, I'm going who's this yokel up here, like doing his thing, like playing his guitar while we're trying to, I'm like, get off the stage, buddy. We got, we got prep to do. But then I realized it was Brad. Yeah. (laughs) I never met him. Yeah. Cool guy. Brad, our t-shirt dude. Very chill. Phenomenal designer. And I love how he's got our sense of humor. Just, just great. But we are donating our part of the proceeds to the TIA difference makers evenly that we met in all three cities Jason, Kathleen, and Inger's nonprofits. It's going directly to their stuff. So if you want what is now going to be a commemorative t-shirt, because we're not going to be selling yes. limited we're not be, edition. Yeah, we're not going to be selling yep. these again. These are these are going bye-bye. This is the last time you can get it. So yep. if so if you want one of those. There's not many left. There's a few there's some smalls, there's some extra smalls, some mediums, a couple of extra larges, I think. Richie's got it all up on the page. We've got to charge you for shipping, which is kind of sucky. But it is what it is. Yeah, so. we, we it all goes to a good cause. You got you got twenty bucks. I know you do. So we have get uh, things and yeah the money. lowered the price a little bit to make up for the shipping because we have to charge the shipping. But we've lowered the price off of what you get from one of our other t shirts to try to make up for that. And we're just going to send the proceeds to the charity. We just don't want these hanging around the basement. So uh, stacking, well, they get all musty. That's right. stackingbenjamins.com forward slash tour shirts just scrunch that all together tour shirts and uh you'll find the page with uh, all of our shirts from three shows so if you went and you didn't get one and you regret it which i know you probably do pick one up if you didn't go but you want to brag to all your friends you were there have you ever seen that that uh michael stipe the lead singer of rem he tells a story about the first show they played and there were like 40 people there and he said that he has met a few hundred people that say that they were among the 40 that were yeah. there. So now I was that, at your first show. Oh yeah. This is your opportunity. You can buy the t-shirt and you can say you were there. Prove that you were there. <laughs> well, here's the deal. We got a probably what about 25 of these left. If we can get rid of them at 20 bucks a throw, I don't remember what our costs are. I have to look those up, but I think our costs are probably half that maybe a little bit more, we'll end up donating, you know, another three or $400 to these charities, which, which, uh, which I mean, th- these are small, 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 small organizations. So it really means a lot. And it's a good time, you know, Thanksgiving and holiday time and stuff like that to be thinking about those things. So it serves two purposes. A, it gets them out of the basement, which is 
important. But more important is uh, it gives these people a little bit of money that they can help out other people in their communities with. So but then, make them go away, people. Well, there's a third one, which is C. Oh. J.D. Roth, the blogger, he loves our T-shirts. Not that he cares about Stacky Benjamins in any particular way. I mean, he likes our show. He's been yeah. on our show, but because they are good looking, comfortable t-shirts. Like oh, well, you, there's that. Yeah, I was trying to go with the, you know, the non. No, I get all those, but you're wearing one right now and uh, yeah. they are so comfortable. They're so comfortable and Brad does yeah. a great design. All right. Uh, we're, we're not hawking t-shirts guys, but uh, just, <laughs> but we are. So get rid of the damn things. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise we will find you. We are for the exact price, the exact uh, profit of zero on our yes. end. Yeah. Unless you count inventory space as a win. So we might get some CPAs going. Well, there you go. That's okay. uh yeah. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 